Hey, everybody. This is, oh, got a little uh, voice crack there, Dan. Uh, did, you, did you hear that? A little, uh, <laughs> Puberty a little, hits uh, everyone differently. I'm, I'm apparently excited to get the podcast started today. Hey, it's uh, it's good to be with you today, everybody. My name is Rob Ryersey. Uh, I am alongside Dan Dietrich, and this is the Common Good Politics Podcast. Our fearless leader, Doug Paget, is uh, vacationing. Good so, for him. Uh, yeah, if anybody deserves a vacation, it's it's Doug Paget. That's you know when you work when you work so hard to try to yeah you know, I don't know save democracy <laughs> and the world. You know you you need to take a yeah, week don't off. Don't undersell it. We're we're trying to yeah. save the whole world as well oh, as absolutely. democracy. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's good to be with you. I am coming to you from as Doug would say, just outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Dan, are you actually in South Bend, Indiana, or are you I am, just outside? I have a South Bend, Indiana address, so I'm right here. Fantastic. That's great. Well, we are, uh, we're happy to be along with everybody today. Tell us in the comments where you are listening from. Uh, we're glad that, uh, that, you are, that you're here. Uh, Dan, we've got, a, we've got a fun show. We've got some good stories to talk about. I have a, I have a cat yeah, who is Joining us today sad. is, uh, yeah, what's the cat's yeah. name again? Uh, this cat is named Sage, and Sage. this I don't know if you'll be able to see it here, but the cat has the word icy written on its side. Can you, you get a look oh, at that? Oh, I see it. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's weird. Wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, Sage just jumped up here. So, Dan, we're, uh, we, we're going to talk with uh, a congressional candidate who's running in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to uh, hold a a house seat that's been pretty contested over the years. Uh, we're going to talk about some news of the day, but we really, uh, there's, there's two things we probably ought to start with. First of all, Dan, are you excited that this is Tuesday? I mean, there's a lot of people that are excited that it's Tuesday because of all the twos. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It took me a second, but now I got it. Yeah. Cause it's February 22nd, 2022. There's so many twos. Yeah. So many twos. Yeah. Is that the type of thing? Do you get excited about that kind of thing? You know, I noticed it earlier today and I did get a little excited. I was like trying to figure out the next time in human existence something like this will happen, you know? Oof. Yeah. Exciting. I I, I, I don't really care. <laughs> Is but, it good luck? We were, Do we get a yeah, prize? Yeah. So I mean, you know, like the Pi Day, the like, you know, the people like the May the Fourth be with you and all that. <laughs> like, I don't know. Not into that um, scene, huh? Nah, nah. But what I am into is this new pair of pants that I've got. <laughs> we were talking about this a little bit before we got started. I got a new pair of pants, and they like look like dress pants, but they feel like sweatpants. And uh, I might never take them off. And Dan, when I mentioned this to you, this led to a revelation from you that uh, that that initially blew my mind. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." But what, Dan, t- give us this revelation. Well, yeah, about you know two years into this pandemic, working from home primarily, I finally bought a pair of sweatpants, just your classic gray. Sloppy sweatpants. sweatpants. Yeah. Oh, this is, and so I don't think I've owned sweatpants you, since I was like ten. It's amazing. That is like <laughs> it's that, like my first reaction was that's absolutely amazing. That's like someone saying, "Oh, I don't own any T-shirts. 
I don't own any jeans. You know, I've never <laughs> worn a pair of sneakers. I mean, like that's like it's like, wait a minute, sweatpants. But then I stopped to think about it and I'm like, I don't own a pair of sweatpants. I've got pajama pants. I've got some I don't know, like really thin pants that I wear when I do yoga now, which that oh, ought to be a discussion thin someday. And tight? How Ooh, tight are these? No, tight at all. No. <laughs> um, and then I've got these new things that are like sweatpants. But Dan, you just got your first pair of uh, adult sweatpants. It's a whole new uh, world. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, do you wear them out in public? I am still hesitant to, but when the need arose, but- I definitely <laughs> did, and I felt <laughs> strange about it. But I fit right in at Walmart, so it, it was fine. <laughs> Yeah, my my mom had a rule growing up that we were not allowed to wear sweatpants in public. So you know, we just I, I kind of have that ingrained in my head of dress for success. I, you know, yeah, I I try not to be judgmental of other people wearing sweatpants in public, um, but for me, as for me and my house, <laughs> we will not wear sweatpants in public. Uh, let me ask you this, Dan. Your sweatpants. You said they're gray. Yeah. What's the legging situation like down at the bottom? They've are, got the little are, are, the we, band around the ankles. Is it is it one of the uh, one of like the like thick bands or is it like the thin little elastic it's, it's thing like, like a in two the class? inch cuff? I would say. Oh yeah. See that? I'm not even sure that even qualifies as classic <laughs> sweatpants. Um. Unless they have like that, that you like know, there's a rubber band tight. in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> there's probably. I mean, you came up with cuff, which was probably the word I was missing. Um, but you know, there, I just so many listeners and viewers flocking to the show for uh, sweatpants <laughs> talk. So listen, let's talk about let's talk about some other things. Okay, um, there's a lot going on. I mean, the world is at war, yeah. apparently. So, uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit uh, last week and, you know, kind of asked the question are you paying attention? Are you watching? Uh, it feels like we're on the brink of World War III and, uh, and we're now there. And, um, you know, so uh, Russia has begun to invade a, uh, a couple of regions in the Ukraine, which mm-hmm. they believe are loyal to Russia. Their argument is that when the uh, Soviet Union was dissolved in the early 90s, that the lines were drawn in a um, arbitrary way, and there are natural, geographic, cultural, language connections that um yeah make them feel that, more at home with yes, russia that there's some solidarity there's some connection between mm-hmm. these people and they shouldn't be cut off by some arbitrary border uh folks do know i and, I, and you know while i don't think russia should be invading ukraine i do have this sense that borders are totally arbitrary And I hope people realize that, Um, you know, there's nothing sacred about a border. They move a lot during human history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you put a wall along it, it's still an arbitrary line in the sand, Um, sometimes quite literally. Uh, So Russia has said that, you know, these 
regions in the Ukraine should actually be part of Russia and not part of the Ukraine. And uh, the loyalty of the political leadership in these regions, um, Russia says, belongs to them. And so they're going in in a what they call a peacekeeping yeah, uh, mission. Peacekeepers into the region. Yeah. Sounds Does legit. That, uh, well, it, <laughs> does it make you wonder about every time we've said we're sending peacekeepers someplace? <laughs> I did see a tweet. It was like, look, Putin is bad news. What he's doing is bad news. But is the U.S. the kettle or the pot in this situation? Mm-hmm. Like, do we really yeah. get to... Claim the moral high ground. Yeah, when it comes to like international interference. So, so, you know, it really feels to me like um, the Biden administration is, I mean, they've really got their backs against the wall with this one. Um, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to respond in an effective way. I don't think. Putin's going to be able to be stopped in this. I think, you know, any sanctions that are um, enacted against Russia and or these um, regions in the Ukraine are, frankly, they're going to be more uh, hurtful to the average everyday person living in those areas Mm -hmm. as opposed to any kind of political leader. And you can look around the world and so often sanctions, you know, uh, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And it's just kind of a, a total crapshoot. So, yeah. you know, it, it's um, this Republican narrative that Biden is weak compared to, you know, to Putin is so laughable after, you know, the Donald <laughs> Trump administration. And, and the his bromance toward- between Trump I, and Putin. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it, oh, just you know, just the the political um, you know disingenuousness is is just astounding at right. times. But it's you know not to it doesn't come as a surprise at all. Yeah, um, it seems like there's a, so Germany has this pipeline that was just finished pumping gas oil mm-hmm. from Russia to Germany, and they have, for the time being, said, we're shutting this down. We're not going to let it open, even though it's finished. It's a $10 billion project. This seems to be the biggest weapon of sanctions in the arsenal. How long do you think they can hold out on this, though? Like, it it hurts them as much as Russia. And, frankly, it's going to hurt all of us. Um, you know, the uh, <laughs> anytime gas and oil supply gets limited um mm-hmm. the you know we we talk about inflation and for those of you that don't listen on fridays if you haven't heard uh um dr fadal kaboob talk about um, inflation and modern monetary theory on um, the times that he's been a guest on the show he, it's just absolutely fantastic uh so often inflation is triggered by uh, rises in gas prices, obviously. And this seems to me to be the kind of thing that could absolutely trigger that. And while we thought inflation was going to be on the decline headed into the fall, the fear is is that something like this could actually trigger um, not just a, a, a 
a decrease in inflation, but but it continuing to increase. So mm-hmm. there's lots of concerns here that uh, you know those that um, you know have the are affected by the political implications of things. They're you know they're paying attention to this and trying to figure out how it's gonna how it's gonna happen. But at the end of the yeah. day, Putin doesn't care. He's like no. his lifestyle isn't gonna change. Like the only yeah. thing that could matter is if he makes life hard enough for the average Russian citizen that they do something about this and have a public outcry, yeah. which yeah. isn't and, isn't really their thing in Russia to speak. Well, out I mean, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of the early '90s, and you know, I I have that mental picture of Boris Yeltsin standing on a a tank, you know, a, you know, addressing a huge crowd of people. And you know the fall of the the Soviet Union, but man, it feels like we're a long a long ways from there. What we're not a long ways from is uh, ridiculous behavior by uh, that former guy. That uh, former so, guy, the twice I mean, just impeached. a couple of just twice impeached, failed president. You know all the uh, all the accolades we could throw on him. Um, you know yet again. Um, and and hey Kay Kay who just said hi from Northeast Ohio, hey Kay, I grew up in Willowick. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a Northeast Ohio guy too. Um, so um, that former guy um, so very often has made just huge technology blunders. <laughs> think about like ticket sales for events. Think about that like his comeback event in Tulsa where like the TikTok kids. You know, the the, the K-pop fans all reserved reserved all the tickets (laughs) and they thought there was going to be, uh, you know, a million people and they hadn't they had an overflow (laughs) section set up outside. And, uh, you know, it was a huge bust. And uh, and frankly, and not not funny at all, um, literally (laughs) cost Herman Cain his life um, because he got covid there. I mean, just so this this team has had some really big technological blunders. And uh, and so because Donald Trump um, was kicked off of Twitter and Facebook, he decided to create his own social media platform and uh, called Truth. And uh, which I mean, like, are we living in in a George Orwell novel? (laughs) It's literally just like, let's call the lies truth. And then yeah, it'll be the truth. Yeah, but yeah, it didn't, didn't turn out. The launch didn't go all that well, did it, Rob? No, no. They say that it's because of um, the just so many people who were <laughs> attempting to log in and create Incredible accounts. Volume uh, of users, and and frankly, like that might be the case. You know that that might be the case. There are you know, a shocking number of loyal Trump supporters throughout our country. Um, and, um, you know, it, uh, truth social, you know, pretty much crashed on opening day. And, uh, you know, this is a, like, this is such a bad thing to happen. This is like every technology person's worst nightmare. Isn't it, Dan? I mean, you're kind of a tech guy. Like, isn't like this, like the thing on launch day, not actually working? Oh. Right. <laughs> Usually, you try to work out the bugs before you before you launch something like this. Yeah. So a lot of people yeah. 
just couldn't even log in. They couldn't create accounts. They were getting error messages like the one we have on the screen. But based on just some graphic design choices, we can guess that they didn't put a lot of effort into this. Uh, you can see on the screen uh. here, <laughs> it turns out that uh, the logo for uh, Truth Social is almost identical to the logo of uh, a truck company. And so <laughs> yeah, a truck company in, um, in the UK. Yeah. So it's not even in America. It's like a blocky T for those of you just listening, uh, with like part of the T is just a square. And the Trump Truth logo is identical. It's the same color blue background, white T. They just added another little square on the Trump one to make it different. So it looks a little shorter, a little fatter to me, but um, it is clearly a ripoff. Now, Dan, this is not a complicated logo. what is it about these people that they just can't do anything honestly? That they have to steal everything? This is can't uh, even come up with an original logo. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so, if, have you? If they're you, stealing you logos, for- you you know that all the back end like tech stuff is equally stolen, ripped yes. off, cobbled together. Yes. Yes, yeah. that's that's what I was going to say. Is that you know I personally haven't signed up for a Truth Social account yet. Have you? No, not yet. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> but I, I wonder if we could broadcast live on Truth Social. Um, <laughs> but I, I read that the interface and the setup, everything is just exactly like Twitter. <laughs> like they, it's just. It's exactly. He really like went Twitter. out and made his own Twitter because he got kicked yeah. off. This makes me miss the days of when he, when he, remember when he launched his own, uh, his like blog? his first kind of social, <laughs> it was this big social media, uh, like innovative social media communication tool. And it turned out it was a blog. It was a blog. It was, <laughs> it was a blog. <laughs> It's a place where he can write things. No one else can. <laughs> that, that's a blog. That's that's what you got there. The other funny Trump story to me that uh, that has come up recently is this realization that Donald Trump's PAC, the Save America PAC, the Political Action Committee, uh, it's a super PAC. No, it's a leadership PAC, sorry. Um, and if you don't know the difference between a leadership PAC and a super PAC, good for you. Go live your life. You don't need to know the difference. <laughs> Here's the basic difference. A leadership PAC is political political action committee that is set up by a politician, by an elected official, um, that they can use that money to support other candidates. They can't use it to support themselves. So it's called a leadership pack because it basically gives them the opportunity to be a leader. And basically it's a horrible mechanism of influence peddling in our, in our corrupt political system and how we've finance campaigns. So uh, Save America PAC is a leadership PAC set up by the former president. Uh, It has raised $108 million, which is a lot of money for a PAC. And he hasn't spent, they haven't spent any of it on candidates. You know, I have been living with this profound fear um, that Republicans are going to take back the House of Representatives, take back the Senate, 
And the type of Republicans that it will be that take them back will be Trump Republicans. And I have lived in fear for several months and for a while now that, you know, the Trump machine would gear up to support these just tremendously problematic candidates all over the country and mm-hmm. that they would, you know, that this unstoppable machine would would be at their backs and they would have resources to to run successful campaigns. Um, I'm feeling a little bit less concerned about that today um, <laughs> with the revelation that that money's there to do that. But this guy He's too thinks the money's stingy. for him. Yeah, he can't share. He is incapable of... Of sharing, which is what a leadership pack is all it's its only function. Now, here's the thing a leadership pack, you cannot spend the money on your own campaign. Um, if it was a super pack, then you could spend you the super pack could donate the, the donation limit is five thousand dollars. A pack can donate five thousand dollars to a candidate, he is a hundred and eight million dollars. <laughs> he thinks. He thinks that this is some kind of slush fund. This is some kind of war chest Mm -hmm. that he's going to be able to convert into a presidential campaign for 2024. It's not. He that money cannot be converted to to a a pack that can support his campaign. It cannot be turned into to to campaign money for his own presidential campaign in 2024. This money has to be spent on behalf of other candidates running for office or it just sits there. Now, this is all assuming assuming that we're dealing with people who play by the rules. I'm not sure we're playing, we're, you know, we're dealing with someone here who plays by the rules, but this is, I don't know, Dan, what do you think? Does this give you a little bit of like, Oh well, maybe these uh, these um, you know horrible Trump candidates all over the the, the country are not going to have the resources we feared they were going to have. Yeah, I I wonder if he's going to make his pet candidates like do some sort of public mm. oath of fealty to mm. him, or like what they'll have to do to get money from this pack i don't know yeah but right now is primary time like right like that right now is the time that these trump candidates are in primaries they're running against other republicans i mean the california primary is march 18th like this stuff is like happening yeah. now but uh, candid- trump yeah. hates to pick a loser and so yes if he just yes. doesn't pick and- anybody Waits yeah. to see. Yeah. And he is consistently like he, he does not have a great track record of, of picking winners. And that's a great transition because uh, he has attempted to pick winners in Western Pennsylvania and has failed. Uh, he's run uh, Trump supporting candidates a couple of times against a congressman named Connor Lamb. Uh, Connor uh, was able to uh, fend off those challenges and hold his seat. Connor's now running for the vacant United States Senate seat in Pennsylvania and uh, try not to pick sides with things, but Connor's a good dude. Uh, Dan, I, I, one of my favorite Dan Dietrich moments is when we were in Western <laughs> Pennsylvania at an event with Connor Lamb and where that he spoke and, uh, and we were there and we, there was, there were protesters that were there yeah. <laughs> uh, yelling at us. And Dan, I have this picture on my phone 
of you singing your song, him for the 81% and turning and singing it at the protesters. <laughs> and it's just, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite photos uh. of you, Dan. Um, so, so Donald Trump has attempted to take this seat. He hasn't been able to. Connor Lamb is vacating the seat as he runs for the U S Senate. And, uh, and so we, our guest today is someone who's running for that seat. Dan, why don't we start? Can we show Chris's uh, Chris's campaign video, and then we'll talk with Chris? Yeah, let's show Does the video and, and All right. bring Chris. And we'll we'll come back with Chris. Maybe if I'd been born in a different place, I'd be a different man. But lucky for me, I was born here in Western PA. Dad's from Jeanette. Mom's from Sheridan. I got to play ball in the backyard in the park with my brothers and our friends growing up in Thornburg. Then one morning, the world stopped. We just got a report in that there's been some sort of explosion at the World Trade Center. There was a crash of a force plane outside Pittsburgh. For my buddies and me, it was our Pearl Harbor. I went off to the Naval Academy, deployed three times, served in Iraq, where the American military built schools, new pipes and infrastructure, bridges, all things we could sure use around Pittsburgh. We wanted nothing more than for him to come home safely. But would there be jobs for his generation here? I did come home, started law school at night while I was still on active duty, got the chance to work with Pitt Cyber. Working to secure and protect Pennsylvania's democracy is of the utmost importance to me. The work at Pitt Cyber continues against high-tech challenges to our kids and families, our jobs and savings. One thing Pittsburgh knows better than anyone is that the best defense is a good offense. Right now, too many people are being prevented from speaking out, joining a union, prevented from voting, prevented from holding the people in power accountable to do what's right and actually get stuff done. So we started going on offense. The University of Pittsburgh's faculty votes to join the United Steelworkers Union. My colleagues and I fought to form a union. Over 3,300 new members of the Steelworkers will mean better pay, better working conditions for our jobs. We can do more. Now's the time to build new roads, new bridges, new schools. Help every Western Pennsylvania family get ahead by expanding Medicare and Social Security, lowering the cost of drugs like insulin and EpiPens, and get corporations and billionaires to pay for it. It's time to do the things we should have done a long time ago. Because right this second, senators with their money tied up in private equity and venture capital are blocking help for Americans whose money's tied up in credit card debt and student loans. They don't care what paid family leave means to a family on a working class income. They're not worried about grocery lists and packing lunches, but I am. I'm Chris Deluzio. I'm from Pittsburgh, and I'm running for Congress, for Western Pennsylvania, for all of us. Hey, Chris, it's good to have you on with us today. So good to see you. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on and making the time. So much to talk about. I love your campaign video. Love that launch video. Uh, it does such a great job introducing you and telling you know um, telling folks about the issues that matter to you. And, and we want to kind of dive into several of them and talk about uh, several of them. But I, but I got to say, can we start with the, like, the major thing that bothered me about it? Is that okay? Sure. I'm uh I'm from Cleveland, so that Steelers flag right at the beginning. <laughs> not good. Not good. Listen, that's not a source of negotiation. There is no <laughs> there. All right. Okay. All right. Well, this is this 
<laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is one of those things that uh, we'll have to we'll have to put our differences aside for the common good here. As a, a Browns fan and a Steelers fan, uh, spent some time chatting. Uh, I don't know, Dan. Do you do you have any strong feelings about teams in the AFC North? Uh, I'm a Bears fan, so I, yeah. nah, it's nothing to yeah. even worry about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, um, your background is so fascinating <clears throat> because um, it really brings about an intersection of like things that uh, of issues and 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 you know this moment that we are in right now as a nation um your military experience your knowledge of kind of you know what's happening on the international stage as we you know are we on the brink of world war three as you know putin's driving tanks into into the ukraine um the importance of voting rights and cybersecurity in the midst of, you know, all of these allegations of, of election tampering and, all, you know, people wondering, like, are, is any of this secure? And an onslaught against voting rights on behalf of people. I mean, you, you feel to me like just so uniquely qualified to serve in Congress at this moment in time. Well, number one, thanks. I, you know, I, I wouldn't throw my hat into the ring to try to, to hold this seat, um, to ask people for their votes and their support and their money and their time if I didn't think I could go do the job. Um, and I think I can. As you say, we have a, a number of pretty unique, uh, terrifying challenges in front of us. Uh, mm-hmm. and it runs the gamut from a war in Europe uh, to our democracy under attack to you know, the social and economic bonds in this country fraying, right? We see workers pushing back more and more because our situation, Western Pennsylvania, all over the country has gotten uh, so tough for folks. And I think all of these challenges, I think they're related. I think they're related to you know an ideology that's put people last, right? That's whether you're looking to stay in power at the expense of our democracy or looking to you know pump up profits at the expense of your workers. I think it's an ideology that's that's greedy in a lot of ways and selfish. And that's the exact opposite of my campaign's about. And uh, you've heard me talk about the common good. I love that that's something we've got in common because I do think it gets to the heart of what's going on in this country and where we've got to turn the page. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really great. Can you, can you talk a bit about, um, uh, about your, your background, particularly with, with cybersecurity and, and what that means for election security and preserving democracy. Yeah, so in my you know post-military life, uh, started law school at night, leaving the Navy, and uh, ultimately got into doing voting rights and work around protecting our elections. And that, of course, has a big component of thinking about cybersecurity challenges. You know, there in the context of you know, threats to voting machines or systems that election officials rely on. Uh, but you're talking and dealing with, you know, actors, whether they're nation states, uh, threats to our infrastructure, which we've seen attacks on things like pipelines, you name it. So those challenges are, are pretty serious and don't just limit themselves to to voting and elections. But that's been my focus uh, principally. And, you know, it's it's a focus that I think we really need right now. You, know, you, you look at what's going on in state houses uh, all over mm-hmm. the country. Georgia, Texas, you name it, Harrisburg here in Pennsylvania, uh, but for a different governor, we'd have the same kind of restrictive laws uh, passed in Pennsylvania, making it harder for people to vote. And that's where the right is. And so I think 
the answer there. It's got to be, yes, fighting in the counties and the states, but we need action in the Congress. It used to be we could pass a voting rights law, you know, with 90 plus votes in the Senate. Well, that's not where we are anymore. That's too bad, but it doesn't mean we don't have to get it done because we do. So tell us about the process of deciding to run for Congress. Like that's is this is the first time you've run for office? Yeah, I'm. I'm not yeah, a. I, I guess I'm a candidate. Whatever yeah, that makes. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about like it's it's a bizarre thing to one day like wake up and you know start a normal day and then go to bed that night thinking I might run for Congress. Like what? Like what is that? What's that like? Like how how did you come about having the sense of like this is something I need to do? Well, I, I start with, I hope my biography makes it clear. You know, I, I come from a place of service as central to my life. You know, I, I took the oath as a 17-year-old the first time in Annapolis, spent that time in the military. I've, I've worked in the judiciary. I've worked in public interest. It's it's who I am. You know, that there are lots of ways to serve that don't require you to run for office. And I looked around. I saw, you know, Congressman Lamb stepping into the Senate race, a seat that I think we've got to hold here in Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania to be able to deliver for folks still, to keep our majority, that we can still pass legislation and do things like the infrastructure bill and you know get ourselves uh, on, a, on a footing where folks have more economic security and so much else. And so to do that, got to hold the seat. And you know I, I decided I, I would do this and try my best to do exactly that, to ask my, you know, my, my community, my neighbors to, to let me serve, rep, let me represent them. I've been working hard ever since, and so it's not something I, you know, work as a small decision. It's a bizarre thing every day. I'll be honest with you. What what what, what a can <laughs> life is like. Uh, I'm working hard at it, and and really uh, have been humbled by the support from folks uh, all over here. Is there something that um, is there something that's been like a big surprise to you that like you thought it was going to be this way? You thought it was going to, you know, it was good. campaigning, running for Congress was going to be like this, and it turned out like. Oh, it's completely different. Is there is there any kind of big revelation? Some big aha? Take it. Take folks inside. Like you know what it's like to really run for office. Do you have any anything that's like oh, yeah. you would not believe this? Well, there's a part that if you've never done this before, um, you're really starting up a small business in some ways, and that's what a campaign is. You know, you've got to yeah. you got to bring in money. You got to deal with expenses. You have, so it's it's running a business in some ways on top of everything else. Um, and that's weird and probably, you know, should be obvious, but it's a weird part of the job. And then the part, and this is a critique of our system of it. And I, I knew this going in, how much fundraising matters is really wow. an indictment of how we fund our campaigns, yeah. how they're run yeah. and the amount of time and effort that goes into doing that. It's, it's not a healthy way to elect folks. And I, I say this a lot and I, I really, truly mean it, whether you're good at that, doesn't indicate whether you're going to be good as a legislator. It's not a good yes. test for for folks who whether yes. they'll be good at the job. And that's ultimately what yeah. you're doing. Right? You're trying out, you know, for your fellow citizens to represent them in Congress and be a legislator. That's the job. Yeah, yeah. Chris, talk to me about unions. I see a poster in the background about unions. Pittsburgh is a big, you know, historically, you know, a lot of union activity there. It seems like over the past 30, 40 years, folks have been chipping away at the power of unions. What do you see the role of Congress in strengthening unions, and why should people care about unions still? Well, I think we know from a lot of evidence, people's lives can tell you uh, in their day-to-day, 
unions are our best shot at giving workers an equal say on the job, at pushing back at corporate power, which has grown tremendously in this country mm-hmm. in decades. Uh, and, you know, Western Pennsylvania is a special place for the labor movement. We have a lot of history here. Blood's been shed, you know, to secure basic rights and dignity for workers here in Western Pennsylvania. It matters to folks. Uh, and I think what you're seeing is, is more and more workers are stepping up to form unions, to take a harder line in negotiating with employers, and to push the case in Washington. That gets back to your question, well, what can the Congress do? And we've seen the courts really whittle away at uh, protections for workers when they're trying to form a union, uh, when employers are union busting. And I, I remind people, you know, it's not the policy of this country to be neutral. You go back and read the National Labor Relations Act. It's the policy of the United States to encourage collective bargaining for folks to join a union. And I think laws like the PRO Act, which would reset so we've got an equal playing field for workers who want to join a union, who want to organize, uh, that's stuff we need. There, there need to be real consequences when employers break the law or fire folks who are trying to organize or trying to step up. And that's what the Congress ought to do. And I, I, I was glad to see the House get that through. It hasn't made it through the Senate. Uh, and so if, if I'm there in the next Congress, believe me, I'll be fighting for it, too. Chris, um, what's the status of redistricting and the, the map in Pennsylvania? I mean, it like it, for folks that might not know, every 10 years when the census is done, there is reapportionment where different states get deter- you know, determine how many Congress people they're going to have. And then that triggers the drawing of the lines of where those congressional districts are going to be. Pennsylvania has had over the last few years, some drama with their, uh, with their congressional districts and the the way the lines are drawn all over the country. There were, because there was delays with the census and like the whole process has been delayed. It's just, you know, it, it, it's just been such a headache for everybody. Where, where's Pennsylvania at at this point? Do you know what district you're want, you're going to represent yet? Yeah. Well, our numbers are not. The short answer is we're not done in Pennsylvania, which here we are in the end of February and we're still not done. Uh, the political process in Pennsylvania to, to draw our congressional maps is a bill through the General Assembly, through the, the House and the Senate uh, that goes to the governor. Well, that process broke down. Uh, there was no fair map sent to the governor, so he rightly vetoed. The map that was sent to him and our state Supreme Court has now taken this on. They had a hearing on Friday and uh, we're all anxiously awaiting a a map here any moment, any day. Um, And thankfully for us in Pennsylvania, although this process has played out so long, you know, we do have the benefit of our state Supreme Court, which, you know, has read our state constitution correctly to guarantee fair maps. And that's what we're expecting. And and we expect to see here very soon, perhaps while we're on. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be great. So is the the Supreme Court, are they the ones that are drawing the map now? Or that like, is that is that what they're doing? Well, Did they take so, that responsibility for themselves or? Yeah, they've they've taken this litigation on and there are a bunch of proposed maps from all kinds of parties before the state Supreme Court. It seems like they'll choose from from one of several that could mm-hmm. be, you know, fair maps. Um, and and. and Years back, they had written a new map when they tossed out a Republican gerrymander, I think, in 2018. So they have some experience with with dealing with this problem here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Do you expect that your district's going to change much? It might. You know, the reality is 
you look at the geography of Western Pennsylvania, there are only so many ways you can cut this and have a fair map. Mm -hmm. So maybe some municipalities change. Uh, we've got to pick up some turf, uh, the least, frankly, of any district in the West. We're the, we're the most populous in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, so every district is going to change a little bit, um, yeah. but we don't have a ton of turf to pick up. So hopefully things yeah. aren't moving around too much. So you, it is a, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the most purple districts in the country uh, in a lot of ways that, you know, we're, we're getting to the point now where there are fewer and fewer and fewer competitive races um, for, for Congress. And, you know, it seems like both parties kind of like it that way. Um, your race, your, your district historically has been one of those competitive races. And, uh, so I'm curious about how you're handling that, like how you're, you're managing to reach out to Republican voters and, uh, and get their support. You know, how are you, how are you managing kind of running as a Democrat in a, in a purple district? It's certainly a competitive district here. I mean, Joe Biden won it in 2020 by about three points. Um, you know, Connor Lamb has managed to hold this district uh, and won by similar margin in 2020 and some tough elections before that, too. It's a competitive place, uh, but it's a place we can win as Democrats. And I think mm -hmm. I, I draw this distinction sometimes between where Republican politicians are and where voters are who might be Republican mm -hmm. or independents. And those aren't the same mm -hmm. place. Right? right. There are lots of part of lots of components and pieces of things I talk about, things that Democrats talk about that are really popular, not just with Democrats. You know, things like protecting Social Security, veterans benefits, Medicare, uh, building infrastructure and investing in infrastructure. We had a massive bridge collapse here in Western PA only a couple of weeks back. Uh, and, you know, that's not unique to that bridge or our infrastructure in general. People know we need investment. People don't love being ripped off on healthcare or seeing, you know, corporate consolidation in, in that industry or any other. Uh, and so I think, again, wherever Republican politicians might be, there are lots of things that we're doing that I'm doing in this campaign, uh, like protecting our democracy. People want to see elections and a government that's, that's healthy and intact and secure. And I think a lot of this stuff, again, cuts through and cuts across party lines, uh, even if Republican elected officials want nothing to do with it. Uh, their voters do. I'm going to do everything I can to reach out to voters, Democrats, independents, Republicans, where meet voters where they are, go there, ask for support. That's that's the first part of it. You got to ask, and we're doing exactly that. Do you think there's areas where Democrats aren't talking about issues that need to be talked about? What are some places where you're wanting to change the conversation and talk about things that? really matter to voters, but aren't getting the attention of the national politics. Yeah, the national commentary, I think sometimes is just out of touch with what was happening in places like Western Pennsylvania. I, I mentioned infrastructure. And yes, mm -hmm. you know, we've had some discussion about it, I guess, in the national press. But around here, it's a big deal, right? It's not just roads and bridges, locks and dams, our buses, our, our rail, you name it. Um, people know that this stuff needs investment. Um, you know, they don't want lead in their water, right? They don't want roads collapsing. Uh, all of this stuff really resonates with folks. And again, it doesn't matter what your party is. And you can tie it to specific pieces of, of, of things you pass every day. Maybe going to take your kids to school or, or heading to work, you name it. So I'd like to see more of that. I try to talk more about it. You know, healthcare has, has at times been talked about, at times it, it hasn't. I think, I think it's crazy to me that 
we don't let Medicare negotiate drug prices down. I'm a veteran. I use the VA. Mm-hmm. You can look at the VA and compare it to the to Medicare and see the VA pays considerably less because it can negotiate drug prices. Uh, it's it's obscene to me that we ever make any American make a decision between medicine they need uh, or you know getting sick, maybe dying because they're worried about bankruptcy yeah. or putting their kids in bankruptcy. And I think again, whether you're a Democrat or independent Republican. That frustrates you. You know that that's a problem. Uh, and I don't think Republicans have anything to offer to deal with that. What's the status of your race, Chris? You, do you have a primary that, that you're in? Um, you know, or or is this something that you're you're feeling like you're you're on your way to being the Democratic nominee pretty easily? Uh, I'll answer yes to both. How's that? Um, we, we, uh, <laughs> that's great. We love it. <laughs> we, we haven't had to start petitioning here yet because of um, our Supreme Court put our petitioning on hold as they're dealing with our map. Yeah. So we don't yet have the ballot set, but that's coming here soon. Uh, and I'm, I'm in a, I feel like we're in a strong position. You know, we've earned support here from in-district members of our state house delegation, our county council members here in Allegheny County, uh, folks in Beaver County to include the only Democrat elected mm-hmm. as a member of the county commission there, the only labor endorsement in the race. So we're, we're feeling really good about where we are, and, and the fundraising has been positive, too. Good. How uh, how can people get connected with you? You know, we've got folks all over the country who care particularly about Democrats holding the House. This is a critical seat to hold uh, as, as Representative Lamb, you know, hopefully moves to the Senate. Uh, this is a seat that is absolutely critical for Democrats to hold if they're going to have uh, control of the House and uh, and keep Republicans from doing that. So how can they support you, Chris? What Where do they go? What do they do? This is, you know, shameless plug time uh, for yeah. folks that are, that are watching or, or listening. Well, number one, we would welcome any and, and all help. It, it means the world. And we really do have a big task ahead of us to hold this seat and, and keep this majority. So folks can... You know, check us out, Facebook and Twitter. We're at Chris4PA. Uh, website is Chris4PA.com. And if you want to shoot an email, it's believe me, it's really us. We'll, we'll answer it. It's info at Chris4PA.com. Any of those are good ways to get in touch with us. Yeah. I, and I have I have emailed info at Chris for PA.com and gotten a response. So, uh, so <laughs> it really <laughs> so works. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, it's not the email address I use anymore, but uh, but it's there. Um, so, I, I maybe one final question, and, and just maybe to bring the whole episode full uh, full circle here. Um, it's a little bit off the beaten track, probably. I'm, I'm willing to guess you have not been asked this question on the campaign trail. Uh, we just we had the, this revelation this morning as we were talking that Dan just bought recently the first pair of sweatpants he's owned as an adult. And while I was making fun of him for this, because it seems so ridiculous <laughs> to me, it dawned on me that I don't own a pair of sweatpants currently. Uh, you know, I've got pajama pants and, you know, other kinds of pants. I just don't. Chris, do you own a pair of sweatpants? I do. I do. Uh, big fan. Big fan of sweatpants. <laughs> it's a whole new world for Dude. me. I love it. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing out. I'm, I'm Chris, thank you so much. Here. <laughs> yeah. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. We wish you all the best. We, uh, we're big fans of, of you and your campaign. And, uh, you know, we look forward to, you know, we're going to be coming to Pittsburgh and uh, doing everything we can to help you win. And, uh, and hopefully folks will, 
we'll head over to your website and find you online and uh, and be a support too. Thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Uh, Dan, it feels to me like every every week we talk with these different congressional candidates, and I just think like, ah. Uh, the personalities, the expertise, the backgrounds, like these are adults that we want yeah. in the room. <laughs> I just, uh, just like uh, kind, competent people. It's so refreshing. And you just hope yeah. that they can compete with yeah. you know, the huge money machine. Well, that's apparently a yeah. little more stingy than we thought. So maybe there's not as much money for opposing candidates yeah. but we've got i mean next week we've got a candidate from kansas who witnessed the insurrection from his apartment window in washington dc oh wow and moved and moved home to run for congress because he was so spooked by what took place on january 6th wow the week after that where we have a, a an ordained pastor uh who is running to be the congressperson from Washington DC. Oh. And uh and yeah, did you know that Washington DC has its own congressperson? But they don't um, like have much Yeah, we're going to talk about all this. <laughs> There's a lot to talk yeah. about. And uh, exactly. And and her name is Reverend Wendy Hamilton. Patrick Schmidt is who we're going to talk to next week. Like there's just fascinating people doing really good work all over the country and yeah. it's really kind of an honor to to put a spotlight on them um, you know, in our in our way here on the show. So for sure. That being said, Dan, is there a, is there a, a conversation happening tomorrow? Yeah, or, we've got uh, a couple uh, conversations we pre-recorded. So we've got tomorrow and Thursday, uh, some really good stuff coming at you. So stick around for those and then uh, back to our normal schedule next week. When our fearless leader returns. Okay. Mentioned look up Mark Morgan Harper from Ohio. Okay. Um, Morgan's a friend of mine. I don't have to look Morgan up. I could text Morgan. Uh, yeah. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And thanks to everybody else um, in the chat. Very active chat yeah, today. To okay. Jim, Mike. Mike. Mike was asking a question. Do you think it would be possible to draw congressional district lines without funny borders? Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the whole problem with the, so the way it's set up, Mike, is that there is, it's, the uh, a congressperson, each of the congresspeople, they like they they represent roughly an equal number of people. So as populations change, that's the challenge. That's what why we get the weird lines that happen so often is that what they're trying to do is balance out population. And so as different neighborhoods grow and others shrink, like that's what makes it difficult. Now that process has been politicized, so it's not just balancing out. Um, populations, but it's knowing how those populations are going to vote and, you know, dividing some that you'd want to dilute their influence and combining others to strengthen their influence. And so we get these crazy lines as a result of that. So I, I think, I think we're always going to have weird looking lines, but I think it could be done in a way that is not politicized and uh and really needs to be so yeah so Catherine, k barbara nelda jumping in in the chat john always good to see john today's show um, is brought to you by the letter p from caitlin she just writes p the letter p capital p not sure what the context was or what 
Yeah. Maybe she left off some letters. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, and Jim is uh, Jim's wearing shorts in uh, California. So <laughs> Dan and I That's are wearing sweatpants, go. trying to stay warm. Jim's wearing uh, Jim's wearing shorts. So great having this conversation with you today, Dan. Uh, really enjoyed talking with Chris Deluzio, and encourage everybody to check him out online and support his campaign. He's one of these people we need in Congress, and uh, the Common Good Podcast will be back tomorrow. Take care, everybody. 